Yeah, it's probably one of the biggest wins for Stanford men's hoops that nobody saw live and in person. What a, what a result for the Cardinal against the USC Trojans on Tuesday afternoon in front of just family members. Goes down as a win. They'll take it. And whenever you hear Swingtown on this show, we're talking Stanford basketball. And that's largely what we're going to be discussing on this episode of the TreeCast with Troy Clarity on the Believe Podcast Network. January 12th, 2022. Happy New Year to you and yours and given how things are looking out there perhaps maybe even more importantly a healthy new year to you and yours Sanford's first men's basketball game of the year was certainly a happy one a big win over the USC Trojans we're going to be talking a lot of basketball now and then really looking forward to catching up with our special guest on this episode of the show, former Cardinal great Dan Grunfeld, who, oh, by the way, has an incredible book out right now. It's a bestseller. It's called By the Grace of the Game, The Holocaust, A Basketball Legacy, and an Unprecedented American Dream. We will definitely get into that with Dan and get his thoughts on what he has seen from Stanford men's hoops so far this year. We'll also talk about a new addition for Stanford football. And we'll get a little help uh, from that as well. But uh, so much to cover here on this edition of the show. In case you're new to the program, hi, I'm Troy Clarity. Follow me on Twitter, at Troy Clarity. Last name is C-L-A-R-D-Y. Pac-12 Network play-by-play announcer in my eighth year with that, with those folks having announced eight different sports for the Pac-12 Network. A lot of fun. Looking forward to getting back into the spring of things when spring sports fire back up. And this is the fifth year overall of the TreeCast, which has become the go-to podcast for Stanford fans. I mean, the heart of the show is Stanford football, but we certainly cover all facets of Stanford athletics. And this time of year, it's basketball that takes top of mind. So an update on the men's and the women's side, plus Dan Grunfeld all straight ahead a bit later on in the show. And a little football content, too, with a little help from another guest as well. But uh, USC entered Maples Pavilion as one of the only two undefeated teams left in Division I men's basketball on Tuesday afternoon. They didn't leave that way. Big win for Stanford men's hoops. More on that in a second. But first, this note, Bet Online would like to wish you a happy new betting year as we continue our march to the playoffs and beyond. BetOnline remains the number one spot for all the best sports wagering action for 2022. New year and a new updated desktop and mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use the promo code BELIEVE, that's B-L-E-A-V, to get started. Basketball, football, hockey, boxing, UFC, right to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for 2022. Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports. Bet Online, where the game starts. Where we usually start on the TreeCast is with three things you need to know. And we're widening the scope now that we're out of football season from just Stanford football even though that is going to be one of our three things, to Stanford Athletics as a whole. And taking top billing right now is basketball. Let's dive into it with number one. 
The Stanford men's hoops hadn't played a game in 19 days due to a COVID outbreak on the team prevented them from playing in the championship game of the Diamond Head Classic out in Hawaii. And, you know, Jared Haas and the players who were afflicted had to stay back or they they stayed back in Hawaii. Jared Haas chose to stay back and make sure that those players got well and got healthy and then came back with those young men. But in the Cardinals' first game back, they had to face the undefeated and fifth-ranked USC Trojans, as long and as athletic a team as there is, certainly in the Pac-12. Oh, and only a select few family members were allowed in the stands at Maples thanks to a temporary health directive. Damn you, Omicron! So what happened? After hanging with USC in the first half, the card made a move in the second half and got the 75-69 win. Never a doubt. After the game, Cardinal head coach Jared Haas reflected on what went right for Stanford. I thought we executed our plan well. I think the guys, especially in the second half, embraced the ideas of what we had talked about. We shared the basketball, I thought, very, very well. In the second half, we got shots and didn't turn the ball over, which I thought was really important. And we had a bunch of guys uh, make timely plays, whether it was free throws, three-point shots, uh, plays at the rim. And then defensively, I thought we were really active. But it's a game, again, that we're... um, proud to win. I'm proud of the guys. And uh, we've had a very, very extended layoff of most of our guys, minimum 10 days in quarantine. And some of the guys uh, even going home for a few days for Christmas and not doing anything and then testing positive and having upwards of 13, 14 days uh, without activity. So I was a little bit concerned coming in about our conditioning, and uh, obviously those questions were answered, and the guys did a heck of a job. Yeah, maybe still some conditioning questions from from my standpoint, as Stanford does still have two more games to play this week. More on that in a second, but we'll, 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 we'll detail that more in a moment or so. But this was a team effort. More on that in a bit as well. However, freshman Harrison Ingram, I, I really think he took a star turn uh, against USC in a critical sequence for him early in the second half. Ingram dunked it down to finish a fast break for Stanford to tie it at 42, but he got called for a technical for taunting. I was like, really? Are you serious? That's that's what gets called for, for, for a technical these, these days? All right. And I flashed back to when something similar happened to Zaire Williams last year in the Maui Gym Invitational. That was played in Asheville, North Carolina. And when that happened to Zaire last year, The game kind of got away from him and from Stanford from there. Not the case this year. After that technical, Ingram down the stretch, three rebounds, a block, eight points, did miss a shot from the field or the floor. 21 points and 10 rebounds on the day. Ingram on why he had such success against the Trojans. Uh, Definitely just the way they were playing me. They're kind of playing off with Mobley guarding me, and he was kind of letting me shoot threes. And, I mean, I've been working on my shot every day with – Coach Crocker and just the rest of the coaching staff and in practice, just knowing and trusting my shot, my teammates trusting the fact that the bottom shooting open threes and getting on transition. That's Harrison Ingram, and make no mistake, though, this was a team effort. Spencer Jones with a couple of big scoring games now. He had 21 points against USC. James Keith and Issa Silva with big defensive moments. Noah Tates with a couple of clutch threes. Stanford had lost its last 14 games against top five teams. They beat UCLA back in 2007. That was the last time. That streak is done. Stanford now 9-4 on the year, 2-1 in the Pac-12. Now the Cardinal in Pullman to face the Cougs on Thursday. Then they're at Washington on Saturday. Maxime Raynaud, the seven-foot freshman who was the only player still in health protocols for Stanford against USC and unavailable. I asked Jared Haas if he might be okay for the road trip, and, and Haas wasn't sure, but certainly Stanford would love to get him back as quickly as it can. 
but still a great way for Stanford men's hoops to start the new year. Can they keep it going? We'll see. Let's move on to number two. Over to the ladies' side, Stanford women's hoops, 11-3 and and number two in the country. Wins over Maryland. The Terps were then ranked number two at that point. And they won at number seven, Tennessee. They had number one, South Carolina, on the ropes at the half, but couldn't hold on in that one. But still a terrific start overall for the Cardinal. Haley Jones, Cameron Brink, Lexi Hall leading the way. Anna Wilson pacing the team with generally all the stuff that doesn't show up on the stat sheet. Cardinal haven't been immune to COVID-related scheduling changes. They actually had to postpone their game against Oregon State last Sunday. They put Gonzaga on the slate and beat them 66-50. to That's actually the second time that Stanford and Gonzaga have already played this season. Cardinal have won 17 straight against Pac-12 opponents. Up next, the Mountain Swing. And this could be very intriguing. Number 22, Colorado, is first on Friday in Boulder. Colorado's 13-0. They are now the only undefeated team left in Division I women's or men's basketball. Baylor men lost on Tuesday as well. Then Stanford heads to Salt Lake City to face the Utes on Sunday. Impressive individual and team performances by the Cards so far, but it only gets tougher from here, especially when you're the defending champs. Let's wrap up three things and get a little outside help with number three. But we got to get a little Stanford football in here, right? I mean, this is the tree cast, and Stanford football is the heart of the show. And and most of Stanford's recruiting class signed on the dotted line on December the 15th. But maybe the Stanford football edition with the most immediate impact potentially for 2022 didn't crystallize until a couple of weeks later uh, from the graduate transfer portal, no less. Uh, Patrick Fields, all Big 12 an Oklahoma team captain, the safety for the Sooners, and ended his Sooner career with a bang, being named defensive MVP of the Alamo Bowl. And even though he went to Tulsa Union High School and I went to Midwest City, I'm, I'm still willing to mention that he went to that high school. But what do we need to know about this guy? Well, joining us now for a moment on the tree cast is a man who spent a lot of time watching Patrick Fields, the beat writer for Oklahoma football for The Athletic and that terrific website and organization. Jason Kersey is with us here on the TreeCast. And Jason, let's just dive right straight into it. Well, what, what do Stanford fans need to know about Pat Fields? Well, first of all, Troy, I want to thank you for pronouncing my last name correctly. A lot of people <laughs> get that wrong, so so thank you for that. Um, <laughs> no, uh, thanks for having me. And and Pat Fields is is a is a fascinating guy. Um, he's one of those guys that when you cover one team, as long as I've covered Oklahoma, uh, you you almost take for granted that he's part of the team. Like it's very weird to me that he's going to be playing somewhere else. Very weird to me he's not going to be on the OU team. He's a three-year starter team captain, been a team leader really since he arrived on campus. Um, and, uh, you know, kind of a kind of a mainstay. He, he was part of, you know, he, he came in at a time when Oklahoma defense was the national laughing stock, as I think probably your listeners probably remember. 2018, the Kyler Murray year when Oklahoma had this all-world offense and the worst defense you could possibly imagine. Literally one of the worst defenses in college football. And he was a freshman that year, but he was sort of part of the transition as they got better under Alex Grinch. Um, But the thing I think that stands out the most about Pat is just him as a person. He is a remarkable human being. I mean, and I, I, you know, I don't say that lightly. He is a remarkable human being. He, uh, I think, I can't remember if he has two or three degrees from OU. I know he's got at least two. Um, You know, incredibly intelligent, 
But you know, it's interesting because he he told us, uh, I want to say in November, that he was going to um, he, he that this was going to be his last season at Oklahoma, and that he wanted to go somewhere with a really high academic pedigree and pursue uh, you know an, an additional degree. And so when he announced that he was going to Stanford, it, I wasn't surprised. What did surprise me a little bit was that he was playing football. I actually sort of. I don't know if I just interpreted it wrong, but I sort of thought that he was retiring from football and was just going to focus on academics. I apparently had that wrong, and good for him. That's awesome that he's going to go play at Stanford. And, uh, yeah, I I don't know. I'm rambling a little bit, Troy. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there's a lot to say about the young man, both on and and, and off the field as well, some of the fantastic things that he was involved in, especially off the field um, with the Sooners. But on the field, well, is there a moment or is there a game where Patrick Fields was at his at his unequivocal best, especially this year? That's a good question. I mean, I think it's probably the easy answer, but I probably have to go with the Alamo Bowl. I sure. mean, that was a that was a huge game for Oklahoma. And I know it was played with an interim coach. Oregon had an interim coach as well. It was sort of uh, that that made it maybe a little bit less exciting for some people. But uh, Oklahoma needed that bad they needed that game bad uh, I, I i will say after lincoln riley leaving after all the turmoil uh after you know all the transfer portal stuff the the fact that that they came out played that well uh played that well for bob stoops which was pretty cool uh honestly just to see him back out there uh, you know coaching again but to see pat fields end his ou career on such a high note was was very cool and and uh, and so I would I would probably have to say uh, the Alamo Bowl. Yeah, yeah. So so Fields leaves. Uh, the good news for OU is that you know there, there's still a lot of real stability on the roster and and on the coaching staff. Oh wait, no, no. Well, yeah, exactly the chase. I, I was I was about to say Troy. <laughs> Do I need to catch you up on what's been going on around here? (laughs) But, you know, Lincoln Riley, of course, now in the Pac-12 footprint, named as the USC head coach. That was probably the most seismic of the coaching hires that we've seen so far um, in this hiring cycle. So now that Riley is out this way and bringing Alex Grinch with him, who's a real thorn in Stanford side when he was Washington State's defensive coordinator, what sort of game-changing things potentially could Lincoln Riley bring to the Pac-12? Well, it was uh, it was a huge hire for them. I mean, uh, on the Oklahoma side, it really shocked this whole state, I would say. And you can imagine being from here. It completely floored everyone that someone would leave OU for another college job. But it is a very interesting fit at USC. He, I think Lincoln Riley, even though he's a West Texas, Muleshoe, Texas guy, um, I don't know. He has a he has a little bit of a California vibe, I would say. I I, I feel like it. I I can see that working quite well out there. He's a he's recruited that area really well um, uh, for OU. So obviously that'll ramp up uh, at SC. Um, USC is a blue blood program with a ton of advantages. All they needed was the right coach, and and this might be it. They they finally went out and spent a lot of money, brought in the right guy that they think is the right guy, a, uh, an exciting coach with a really exciting offensive system. And uh, like you said, you bring Alex Grinch with you. He had a lot of success out in the Pac-12. I think this has a chance to really work out well for them. 
And uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if USC is is uh, is dominating the Pac-12 in a few years. Yeah, yeah, it could be very intriguing to watch so many Oklahomans leading for California. Last time we saw stuff like this, Steinbeck was writing a novel about it. But, you know, Sooner State's been <laughs> right. great to Stanford over the years. I mean, Glenn Milburn transferred from OU. Chase Beeler uh, from Jenks uh, came to Stanford. DJ Rushing, uh, and now Patrick Fields could potentially be adding his name uh, to that list as well. Jason, thanks a bunch. We appreciate the time. Stay safe, stay healthy, and we'll talk again soon. Anytime, man. Thanks so much for, for having me. And those are three things. Yeah, a nice addition for Stanford, it seems, with uh, Patrick Fields in the fold. A little bit of roster shuffling, however, with, with a few guys in the transfer portal. And look, that's... That's life these days for every team in college football these days. You're going to lose folks to the transfer portal. Stanford, of course, has a little more problems gaining guys in the transfer portal, but uh, getting uh, folks like Patrick Fields will certainly help out in that endeavor uh, for the Cardinals. So roster still a bit in flux, still some things to sort out in the weeks ahead. Shout out to Andrew Luck. Congratulations to him being elected as a first ballot college football Hall of Famer. Good stuff and really cool and really neat seeing him do a pregame hit with uh, ESPN before the uh, national championship game on Monday. He looks pretty good. Looks good and seems very, very happy with uh, with how his life has gone uh, since leaving football. As I've said before, football needs Andrew Luck a hell of a lot more than Andrew Luck needs football. And also a quick shout out to all the other fall sports uh, that completed their uh, competition. Good to see women's volleyball back in the NCAAs. Uh, maybe not quite the soccer seasons that were hoped for. The women uh, losing in the first round to uh, Santa Clara, who eventually made it back into the College Cup, uh, which was hosted by Santa Clara. And uh, men's soccer not making the NCAAs, but uh, those programs' trajectories uh, still look terrific going forward. So a shout-out to the fall sports, as uh, and congratulations and a thank you to all of the student-athletes who competed for Stanford in those fall sports. Well, back to basketball we go on the show, and I think right now and as I speak and as we have this conversation, today is probably about the perfect time to have our special guest for this episode of the TreeCast. Been looking forward to catching up with them for the past few weeks, but certainly glad we could do it now, uh, given Stanford men's hoops result on Tuesday. And given all the terrific things and the wonderful book that our special guest has out now, of course, the author of By the Grace of the Game, The Holocaust, A Basketball Legacy, and An Unprecedented American Dream. But also, I'm sure you remember his days playing for Stanford men's hoops. From 2002 to 2006, was first team all Pac-10 in 2005, and I don't think we've talked since then. I'm glad we get a chance to break that streak now. Glad to welcome in Dan Grunfeld. Dan, thanks a bunch. Appreciate the time. How you doing today? Doing great, Troy. Good to be with you. It's been too long, so glad to reunite. Yes, yes. Modern technology is a wonderful, wonderful thing. <laughs> and when Stanford men's basketball is playing like it certainly did on Tuesday against USC, that can be a pretty wonderful thing as well. Knocking off uh, the fifth ranked team in the country. Too bad there weren't, you know, as many fans as would have been nice to have been able to witness it live and in person with their own two eyes. But it still goes down as a big win for the Cardinal. Uh, what did you make of the win? What do you make of this year's hoop squad from what you've seen so far? 
Yeah, it was so great to see the team win in Maples. And like you said, there weren't fans there, but in my mind, it was rocking, you know, because to, to beat a team like USC like that, a tremendous win. I mean, you see the team starting to come together, starting to coalesce. I mean, you know, Harrison as a freshman is making such an impact. Jaden, you know, those are two guys that have tremendous size versatility and, you know, they're just fun to watch. And um, so I'm happy for the coaches, happy for the players, and I hope it continues. Yeah, it's, it's it. they hit the ground running up in Pullman, a lovely place to be this time of year, and then uh, then over uh, in, in Seattle as well. Let's hop in the Wayback Machine for, for a little bit. And I think you played in a very intriguing time in Stanford men's basketball history. Someone, someone, Some folks might be able to look at it as a bridge, perhaps, from the Collins Twins to the Lopez Twins, but still made tournaments every year. And that 2004 team is still perhaps one of my most beloved teams for Stanford men's hoops. Oh, you, you played in the old Maples and the new Maples. You kind of played in that bridge era. How would you describe those teams you played on back on the farm? Yeah, incredible. You know, just as you said, you know, Mike Montgomery recruited uh, me and my class and he left after my sophomore year, which was that 2004 year where we were the number one team in the country. Trent Johnson came in and, you know, Maples had a renovation that same year. So there was a lot of change, but the, the constant there was we had tough, motivated, disciplined teams. And so, you know, my freshman year, we were a four seed in the NCAA tournament. My sophomore year, we were a one seed. It was just, it was, it was an amazing time. You know, Maples was always full and, and always filled with so much energy. And, you know, we're still friends to this day. You know, all the guys that I played with, like some of my best friends in the world. So we all kind of understand that bond and those special things we did together. Yeah. Take me inside that 04 team a, a little deeper, the characters, the guys, the moments, what are some of the things that you remember from that season in particular? Oh my gosh. I mean, listen, we started 26 and Oh, like th think about that. Right. And you know, this is the back 10 back then, like, Arizona, their starting five, they were all NBA players, right? Mustafa Shakur, Salim Stoudemire, Hassan Adams, Andre Iguodala, Channing Fry. These are guys who had really, really strong NBA careers. If you look at our roster that year, there are a lot of really good players. And then we had Josh Childress, right, who was a lottery pick. But we just had a solid group of basketball players who played really hard, were really tough, and played together. And so, you know, sometimes things just click. And that's what happened. And honestly, like, everyone sacrificed we did it as a team. We had tremendous discipline and we're so well coached. And it, it was, it was magical. It really was. I mean, to, to be the number one team in the country for that long, it was incredible. And yeah, you mentioned the characters, you know, like Chris Hernandez was, Hernandez was our point guard. He was so tough. And Matt Lodick in the backcourt that they had this fiery backcourt who could shoot it so well. Rob Little was a force down low. Of course, Josh on the wing and Justin Davis down low. And it was just a great group of guys who really matched. Yeah, and, and magical moments with Pops, Nick Robinson hitting the shot against Arizona. I'll remember that. I'll take that moment with me to my grave. Matt Lodick hitting a big three to beat Washington State up in Pullman uh, to help extend the streak. That was a that was a fantastic team to watch, and 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 you were a part of it. You did great things during your Cardinal career as well. What were some of the things that you took with you from a mentality standpoint and a physicality standpoint as well? Every time you stepped out on the court. No doubt. And I just have to mention, because you, you said Pops Robinson shot against Arizona. Uh, that was my 20th birthday. So wow. talk about talk about a birthday gift, right? Happy that, birthday yeah, to you. <laughs> I mean, the, the best thing ever. And people, especially since the book has come out, have asked me about, you know, my best moment in basketball. And that was it. You know, that for me and, and you know, it was just to be part of something like that. It was just so unforgettable. And listen, I, I took so much from those teams. You know, learning how to communicate, 
how, how to fit pieces together. For me personally, how to deal with adversity and disappointment because there were times, and I write about this very honestly in the book, where I didn't get the opportunity that I wanted or thought I deserved. And you know, how do you deal with that? How do you deal with it with integrity? You know, because you you still want to be a good teammate. And you know, I learned so much from Coach Montgomery about you know the X's and the O's of basketball and how you get the right people to do the right things at the right times. And learn from Coach Johnson too. You know, everyone has a different approach and and learn from my teammates. <laughs> you see these guys who they approach it different ways, but everyone kind of had a method to the madness. And so I and today, you know, this is I'm 37 now, so I graduated in 2006. But in my kind of professional life, I still apply that that discipline, that competitiveness, and that toughness that we played with. That 2005 season, and I remember it, it happened right in front of me. You you got hurt and you missed uh, the rest um, of that season. And when 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 student athletes get injured, you know sometimes it kind of gives them a different perspective on the game. Sometimes it gives them a different appreciation for the game. Were those sorts of things the case for you as you as you tried to get back into get back into the playing mold? It- it was. And again, I, I write about all this very in depth in the book because I wanted to go to Stanford since I was in seventh grade. And, you know, my grandmother, who's the central figure of this book, you know, she lives in the Bay Area. And when we were visiting her with my sister, when my older sister was looking at colleges, we visited Stanford's campus. And so I, that's where I always wanted to go to be near my grandma and to play for the Cardinals. So, you know, it, it was always just a dream to play at Stanford. And yet that injury, you know, tearing my ACL my junior year when kind of my I was at my, the peak of my career. It was crushing. But to your point, you do gain perspective, you know, and I think for my life, you know, it, it was a good thing in a sense that you kind of understand what really matters to you. And I was so focused on basketball and so motivated, which is a good thing, but you also do want to have that balance. And I think I gained some of that balance because of the injury. But listen, it was a very tough thing to go through. After you went through that, played for international, played internationally in Germany and then Romania and, and, and Israel as well, and came back and got your got your MBA. And look, the, the, the game has been central to your life. Family has been central to your life. And, and the game and family, obviously two central themes to the book by the grace of the game with your dad and his generation and, and your 96-year-old grandmother and, 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 and her stories. And, and, and this book was, was years in the making. Uh, kind of take us through the process of of just compiling everything and, and when when you kind of started to think, wow, well, we we might all these stories, I, I gotta put all this on, on page. Yeah, I mean, I kind of always grew up having a sense of the profound impact that basketball had had on my family. You know, I mentioned my grandmother who lives in the Bay Area. You know, she's a Holocaust survivor. Yeah, you know, as was my grandfather who passed away. And my dad is the only player in NBA history whose parents survived the Holocaust. And actually, according to the research, he's the only player in the history of American pro sports whose parents survived the Holocaust. And so, you know, he came to the United States as an immigrant, didn't speak a word of English, had never touched a basketball at nine years old. His older brother was diagnosed with leukemia shortly after arriving and passed away within a year. So really tough background, so much adversity. And he just went to the park in New York City to make friends, learn English and heal from that loss. And he started playing basketball. And then roughly a decade later, he was standing on top of the podium as a gold medalist for the United States in the Olympics, you know? And so uh, that just shows you kind of what basketball can do for people. And so knowing that story, it was always one I wanted to tell. And when I was in business school, I had a little space to be able to do that. And so I started doing the research, took me a year and a half just to understand what happened, you know, to my family at these different points in history. To write my first draft took me eight months. I set my alarm for 6.02 in the morning every morning and got up and wrote for an hour and a half or two hours. And actually you talk about 
how Stanford basketball has impacted me. That's a big reason. Because when I was done with my first draft, of course, my wife told me how proud of me she was. And I remember telling her, thank you. But really, all I did was I had the discipline to get out of bed every single morning. And that's what we did as, as the Stanford Cardinal. I mean, we, and I write about that in the book. You know, we had a rule one summer that we, we worked out at 7 a.m. And if one player was one minute late, we would work out at 6 a.m. the next day. And that only happened like one time. But I mean, it was like we just stuck to that, you know. So I really just applied that same discipline to the, the writing and researching process. And then it's been several years of editing, of iterating. And, you know, the book has been out for roughly six weeks now. And, you know, it's making the rounds and is being well received. And so it's really an honor for me for people to engage with this story. Yeah, I, I want to get to the reception uh, on the book here in, in, in just a second or so. But with, with the climate of things, let's just call it what they are nationally, internationally as well, being being what they are, um, how relatable do you suspect your grandmother's experiences and your father's experiences and even your experiences uh, might be to what folks currently might be going through right now? Yeah, very much so. And I think that's one of the reasons why the book is resonating so much. You know, just for people want something to believe in, right? And everyone has adversity and challenges in their life. And so when you look at a family who's, you know, survived the Holocaust, fled communism, dealt with a tragic death, as I mentioned of my uncle, but then to, you know, to kind of persevere and overcome those things, that's a hopeful story that people can believe in. And then when you talk about what's going on in the world today, where all around the world, people are not being treated fairly, you know, there, there's prejudice, there's injustice. And my family has faced that, you know, throughout the generations. And so for, for kind of both those reasons, I think that, yeah, the story really is touching people on a deeper level. And it's one of the reasons I wanted to write it. And I remember telling my dad that because he, I remember him saying, you know, this is our story, you know, and, and I said, it is our story, but everyone has a version of this. We all know what it's like to deal with things and, and to try to get through the things, you know, that, that come our way in life. And so, yeah, for those reasons, I think, you know, the reception has been really positive. Yeah, so so many uh, amazing stories. I, we probably couldn't do it true justice just in, in the framework of, of this conversation. They have to be told fully um, um, in the book itself, and 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 the reception has been absolutely fantastic. Uh, how have you kind of taken it all in and, and and reacted to all of this as you as as you hear and and get feedback from from you know from 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 normal readers but also from some pretty high profile folks as well how have you kind of been able to process the reaction and and the reception uh to the book so far yeah again i'll link it to, to basketball link it to stanford like you try to stay even keel you know you you try to just keep your head down and, and put the work in that being said it's incredibly rewarding and it's a great feeling it really is and it's so much bigger than me. You know, I wrote the book, but this is my grandmother who went through hell so I could have the opportunities that I do. And my dad too, you know, and so for me to be able to tell their stories, but then for people to, you know, to like it and, and to relate to it, 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 it's a great feeling of satisfaction. You know, I mean, the book became a bestseller on Amazon and it was really, you know, making the rounds a lot. And so, yeah, that, that feels good. But again, I, I always have that basketball instinct that's telling me, keep your head down, keep working, keep pushing. And, you know, I write about that very honestly in the book about some of those tendencies and, and how they might've driven me at some times and hindered me at other times. And I find myself here as, you know, a more grown person than I was when I was at Stanford kind of dealing with those same, same things. 
Well, the reception has been fantastic. And uh, as we speak here after we're done uh, chatting, you've got an event with Wolf Blitzer later on today. So thanks for thanks for fitting me into your- No, listen, <laughs> this is a high-powered day, man. I'm honored to be here with you, believe me. <laughs> as, as we wrap this up here, um, mentioned the NBA, authorship. What else have you been up to over the past few years as well? You've got a lot going, it seems. Yeah, yeah, definitely have a lot going on. I mean, most importantly, I have a family. You know, so we have a, a two and a half year old at home and another little boy on the way, which is, you know, the most important thing. And, uh, you know, I graduated from Stanford Business School in 2017 and I've worked at a venture capital firm for several years. So kind of really immersed in the tech ecosystem in the Bay Area. I love writing. I, you know, it's always been a, a big passion of mine and actually something I really cultivated at Stanford. You know, I, I did a lot of writing as an undergrad and took classes and got feedback. And so that, that bug, you know, really uh, Stanford was, was such an important place for that. And so, yeah, just doing a lot of writing, spending a lot of time with my family and uh, trying to, trying to balance it all. Well, con- congratulations uh, on everything uh, that, that you've accomplished uh, on the court, off the court, with the book, before the book, and, and, and everything else. And uh, I'm, I'm sure you're going to be watching Stanford uh, men's hoops. Hopefully have a pretty intriguing season the rest of the way. This should be a lot of fun. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm looking forward to it. I'm rooting for him. Dan, thanks a bunch. Really appreciate the time. Stay safe, stay healthy, stay sane, and hope to chat with you again soon. All right, Troy. Thanks so much. Go Card. Our thanks again to Dan Grunfeld for uh, spending some time with us on the show. And uh, Dan actually talked to the team uh, over the weekend, the Stanford men's hoop squad, over the over this past weekend. And uh, the coaches uh, uh, gave the guys uh, copies of the book, which you should get copies of it too. And so <laughs> Dan and I were talking uh, beforehand, and he was like, hey, you know what? I'm not going to take complete credit for, for Stanford beating USC, but if they want to assign me the credit, I'm not going to run from it. <laughs> Really enjoyed catching up with Dan, who was uh, one of my favorite guys to uh, to talk with when he was back um, on the team and really proud and, and congratulatory of all the things that he's accomplished, especially um, with the book. Oh, by the way, uh, Dan Grunfeld, not the only best-selling author with ties to Stanford men's basketball of late. My man Scott Reese, the voice of the Stanford Cardinal, uh, where they were then. Uh, that book came out back in the fall, and it was a bestseller, as uh, he uh, previewed or at least uh, uh, went back with uh, help from some of his uh, fellow ESPNers on on how they got their start in in the sports casting business. And some most of those folks didn't start in sports casting; they had some very interesting first jobs uh, before eventually landing on the roads that took them to Bristol. So uh, Scott Van Pelt's in it, other various. ESPN celebrities and, uh, and, and and anchors past and present are part of that book. So, look, if you're looking for stuff to read, two fantastic options for you that help support the Stanford media community in Where They Were Then by Scott Reese and By the Grace of the Game by Dan Grunfeld. And again, our thanks to uh, Dan uh, for checking us out and, uh, and joining the show. And, and certainly a lot of – boy, I, I – I can't imagine some of the things that 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 Dan's uh, 96-year-old grandmother had to experience. You know, quite honestly, I can't imagine some of the things that my 84-year-old grandmother experienced um, during during her lifetime, especially early on, growing up in the segregated South. I I, I can't I can't imagine some of those things. Uh, but a lot of those lessons that that were learned in that generation certainly apply in this day and age as well.
We are on an irregular posting schedule on the TreeCast. During football season, we come at you twice a week. Uh, but we're on an irregular posting schedule uh, as of right now. Uh, I suspect and I think that we are on track for another episode this month. And I think we're on track to catch up with a very special guest that you're going to want to hear from. I think you want to be a part of that. If you have not subscribed to the show already, I highly suggest that you do so via your favorite listening app, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play. Stitcher, they've got the hookup. If you just want to subscribe via Believe Podcast Network, you can certainly do that as well. Um, I think Alexa has the hookup as well. Maybe I shouldn't say that too loud. I think my Alexa unit's in this room. I don't want to, I don't want you to hear her um, in the background as well. But uh, just because we're out of football season and not posting twice a week, hey, it's always a great time to subscribe to the show and also to rate and review the program as well and spread the word about the show. We are proud to be the leaders of Stanford Athletics coverage in the podcast space. We certainly couldn't do that um, without your support. So uh, subscribe to the show. Uh, be a part of the program. You've got thoughts on anything you hear on the show. Hit me up on Twitter with the hashtag TreeCast. I always appreciate that. And we will come at you next time, hopefully later on this month. Special thanks once again to our guests First, Jason Kersey from The Athletic for telling us what we need to know about Patrick Fields. And, of course, Dan Grunfeld. Really enjoyed uh, both of those conversations uh, with both of those guys. Don't drink and drive. If you do, you're the dumbest person on the planet. Stay safe. Stay healthy. Stay sane. Omicron's no joke, folks. Stay masked. Stay masked. And we'll see you next time on the TreeCast with Troy Clarity on the Believe Podcast Network.